Welcome to another episode of The Artiste, where we delve into the lives and the craft of an artiste. My guest today is a superstar of musical theatre, stage productions, film and TV. She's a killer singer and plies her craft in a wide variety of other formats, including as cabaret performer, MC, and corporate and numerous private events. She's also an accomplished voiceover artist. Her talents extend to the writing and performing of her own shows with several original character creations, including the irrepressible Rosa Waxowski, celebrity bikini waxer. Oh, and she also owns a hotel and is a marriage celebrant. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Marnie McQueen. <laughs> hey, Luke. Hey, I've got to start off with your name. I've always thought that Marnie McQueen was a made-up name, yeah. but it's your real name. It is. I get asked that all the time. It's just, uh, it just flows. Marnie McQueen. <laughs> I mean, the double double M to start off with is, is a ripper start. But what is the ancestry of McQueen? Well, it's a Scottish name. Yep. And a couple of years ago, I was fortunate enough to go back to Scotland with my dad, who, I mean, we've, we're eight generations Australian on wow. both sides of my family. Really? But he is such a proud Scotsman. He said to me that at his funeral, he just wants everybody to know how proud he was of his Scottish ancestry. Anyway, so it was so, it's just amazing that he's carried that on, you know, after our family's been in Australia for such a long time. But it was great going back to the Isle of Skye where the McQueens are from. Alexander McQueen is buried. Really? At the McQueen Kirkyard, right up on the northern tip of the Isle of Skye. Did you feel some spirits of some sort? Yeah, it was really interesting going back to where your ancestors used to reign and live and, you know, go about their day-to-day clan activities. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, it was a really amazing thing. I don't feel the need to ever do it again. Mm, I've done it. Okay. But it was wonderful to go back and see where we came from. And mm. it did, it made me feel like I could do anything. It made me feel strong. I mean, my, my parents have sort of instilled that in me anyway, certainly my dad, but it made me feel like, you know, I'm from a tough clan. You know, I, I'm from a tough group of people who can, you know... Do make, anything yeah. they, they put their minds to. Yeah. Now, your dad, has he ever been in a moustache competition? <laughs> because he has a fantastic moustache. <laughs> he does. Has he, he does. always had a, that, that moustache? Yeah, oh, since he was 25, yeah. Yep. And he's a bush poet. Tell me yeah. about that. Well, that only came later in life. Well, so he's ve- been very much involved in cricket and football all of his life, you know, sort of very typical kind of Aussie bloke, really. Like, he, he reminds me a lot of Daryl Kerrigan. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he says a lot of Daryl Kerrigan things. At the end of almost every meal, he says, Does he really? This is the best meal I've <laughs> ever had. He's so enthusiastic. <laughs> Yeah, everything's great. It's amazing. I've never met anybody who sort of gets more enthusiastic about life as they get older. He learns more things. So going back, he he, he grew up with a, a passion for cricket and football and so naturally when he turned 50, he decided to retire from his job. He had a financial planning practice and build his own Cricket ground in country Victoria, no up at Strath Creek, six turf wickets, white picket fence, bunkhouse that sleeps 30 people, a pavilion that won a Master Builders Award. Um, he and his all his old cricket mates painted the 
picket fence by really? hand. Really? They had to put like three coats on it. So <laughs> he said in his next life, if he was a magistrate, he would sentence people who had committed serious crimes to a lifetime of picket fence painting and he would guarantee they would never re-offend. <laughs> it seems almost a contrast that he was a financial planner and yet he spent a stack of money building this. I guess if you build it, they will come. Was that the theory? That was absolutely the theory and people would, you know, reference Field of Dreams to mm. him all the time and he'd say, well, I've never seen that film, but I just did this, you know, it was my own idea. Like, <laughs> and it was true. still it, exist? It still exists, yeah. They sold it because it just... It, they were getting a bit older and it became a bit too hard physically mm, for them mm. and they they had grandkids being born in Melbourne and they just wanted to spend more time not being, you know, glued to the the, the country property. Got you it. Know, with, the Black Saturday bushfires came through our property and th- the shed burnt down and mm. we nearly lost the whole lot. So wow. that was a bit of a wake-up call for mm. them. So they sold it. But it's it, it was sold to a cricketing family, um, Chris Rogers, who's who plays in the Australian Test team. Or, right. I don't know if he still does, but he did. His parents bought it and they wow. kept it going and, yeah, made it even better. And so... Yeah, so, he started a big tradition. Yeah, he started something great. But while he was there, they used to have busloads of people come in and, um, you know, have morning tea. And one one uh, tour group operator said to Dad one day, listen, can you do any entertainment for this group? You know, can you, I don't know, tell them a bit about why you built the cricket ground and, you know, do a poem or something? And Dad said, well, I can do the man from Snowy River. I learned that. <laughs> I learnt that in grade five. Right. I can give you that one if you like. Well, that just started an entire career renaissance for him and he now can recite 60 Australian bush poems. He could do one straight after the other. He's always learning new ones and he's in his mid-70s now, so, you know, that's an amazing thing for your brain to be taking in 15, 16 verse poems mm. learning he learns probably five new ones a year and he he goes around to all these different clubs um all sorts of different groups he does some performances at like retirement villages but uh rotary clubs uh he does corporate events do it as the bush balladeer that, that that's what he calls himself yeah that's incredible. Yeah. Did you ever see this coming? Did you see this side of him in earlier life? Well, he was a he was a, f- a football coach and he was renowned for his passionate half-time, you know, or three-quarter time speeches where he'd really, you know, sock it to them and tell them this is their last chance to win the game. Yeah. Apparently people, you know, the whole all the the whole club would gather around for his three quarter time wow. addresses. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, even like the family, all the families of the players that all gather around just to it's listen. It's a special time. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no there's no kind of um coincidence that you became a performer because it sounds like he was a born performer but it happened later in life for mm, him. Mm, that's that's exactly right. So speaking of performing, how do you, Marnie McQueen, I'm going to say that a few times <laughs> during this, how do you, Marnie McQueen, create a show? Let's go back to 2010, yeah. uh, the Rosa show. Yeah. Let's just talk about that one. How do you start with a blank bit of paper in front of you to create a show that you want to then perform for the Cabaret Festival? 
Okay. Or, or for the, uh, uh, it was the International Comedy Festival, wasn't it, that you performed that as part of? Yes. My first show was in 2008. Yes. And that was for the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Yep. And I, so when I was studying at NIDA, so funnily enough, just I, I did commerce for three years. I know. Now talk me through that. How do you, do you go and just go, you know what, I just want to study something so I've got a backup plan for life. Was that the thinking? And no, so, no, sort of. It was not so much a backup plan. It was more, well, I got the marks to do this, so I might as well do it. But in the meantime, I'm going to audition for the acting schools at the end of each year right. and see what happens. Okay. And it wasn't until the end of my third... I didn't audition at the end of second year because I didn't want to leave. I was enjoying my life in Melbourne and I was enjoying doing commerce and all of that. But I auditioned at the end of first year, I didn't get in, and then I auditioned at the end of third year and then... I got in to NIDA, so, so that it was, was good perfect timing. timing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, great. It was great. And then you just transitioned by just doing your three years of commerce to then three years of NIDA. Yeah. And it must be a totally different headspace to be in. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was completely different, you know, d- just different. Uh, I mean, when I was at Melbourne Uni, I was living at Trinity College and there's a lot yes. of people from, you know, very wealthy families in Melbourne mm. and people who's families live in South Yarra, but they go to Trinity because their grandparent, their, their parents and their grandparents mm, went to tradition. Trinity. It's a family tradition, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and then at NIDA, you know, yeah, there are a lot of people who, there are a lot of people who are on scholarships or just like they'd spe- they spent all their money on their rent and, you know, just couldn't afford mm. to do anything outside of turning up for school. Mm. Yeah. So, but which was fine because that's pretty much all we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I got to meet people from all different sorts of walks of life. And also I think it exposed me to the gay community as well, which I, I, I sort of had been exposed to, but I didn't have best mates, you know. And it, so that was a wonderful thing for me. And then later on when I got into Priscilla, that was a real game changer for me. Mm. And that, you know, um, that was just one of the best things that could have happened to me, I think, coming from a pretty conservative background. It, that was that was terrific, and that also managed to change my parents' mindsets about homosexuality as well. Just through my association with all these awesome gay people who they got to meet, and I remember my mum saying to me one night, "You know, you don't choose to be gay," and I thought, "Terrific, you know." Wow! Yeah, and you know, she, she was on board basically. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and that was a uh, just a consequence of, of the people that you met. Yeah. That's right. Sorry, but we have jumped around, so that's okay. Let so, me go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll go backwards. So two thousand and eight, you yeah. created a show. So how did that start? So it started because I had always wanted to create a show as this character that I had started when I was at NIDA. When we were in third year, we one of our uh, graduation exercises was to go out and observe somebody in their workplace over a long period of time. So you had to choose somebody who you could observe quite easily, mm. you know, on many different occasions. So you sort of sat there for, you know, like 10 different sessions for half an hour or an hour just watching them and watching the things that they regularly did and how they held their bodies and 
any unique physical characteristics that they had, things that they said in their job repeatedly. Mm. You had to take note of all of those things and then do a performance for the class for 10 minutes as that person. With nobody else, you had to just uh, let it be clear that there were other people that that person was interacting with without those people actually existing in the scene. What a great idea. Yeah, it was wonderful. So, you know, people did the librarian because the librarian was so easy to observe. You could Mm. sit there without them really knowing that you were studying. Some people did their bus drivers, but that was hard because they had to get on exactly the same bus every day or that bus driver wasn't on that. (laughs) Anyway, I decided to do my beautician. Brilliant. She had a beauty salon just down the road yes. on uh, Anzac Parade in Kensington called The Bee's Knees. <laughs> <laughs> she was actually Italian. Right. Her name was Anna. She spoke in a thick, uh, quite a thick accent. She always wore high heels. She wore top-to-toe leopard print and she was never wrong. You know, she knew everything, <laughs> everything about life Love and beauty. Right, okay. So you, how did you find this person? Is it up to you to find the person? Anyone in your life you can just observe and you don't have to get that approved or anything. There could be three different people doing a beautician, but you all come back having put a show together of 10 minutes length over a period of, what, a few months you've got to prepare? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Great. So you, you came back and, and were you just fascinated by her? Yeah. As soon as you got the assignment, you went, I've got to go to her. I did. I yeah. just knew immediately because she was just so interesting and, and funny. But I didn't really, you know, it was, a, it was a serious observation exercise. Yes. So I didn't think it was going to be funny. Turns out it was funny when I did the <laughs> monologue, all the, all the other students were laughing, the teacher was laughing. And then the teacher said, I want you to perform this monologue again at an event next week that Barry Humphreys is coming to. Wow. So I did and afterwards I introduced myself and, you know, we had a chat and I asked him if I might be able to go and observe him while he was doing his one-woman show on Broadway the following year. Far out. And he said yes and... So I applied for a scholarship, the Mike Walsh Scholarship. I went to the interview in character as Rosa. <laughs> I didn't get the scholarship. In oh, fact, okay. Mike Walsh, halfway through the scholarship, go, uh, halfway through the interview, goes, "Listen, Marnie, let's just let's just forget this whole act and let's just talk." And I'm in full, you know, fully dressed up as Rosa, and I'm going, "I can't just talk to you normally like this." You don't understand. I'm not Marnie. It's like Borat breaking character. Exactly. Mm. Oh, so the whole thing was just dreadful. Anyway, I thought I'm not missing this opportunity, so I put the whole thing on my credit card. It cost oh, me wow. like seven grand or something. Didn't matter. Um, you know, I paid it. I paid it back with babysitting and whatever. When I got <laughs> when I got back, it just didn't matter because it was a, a life changing experience. Going. So, what did you learn from him? Like, how long you were there for? I was there for a couple of weeks and I saw his show eight times and I learnt how much is the same every night and how much is completely different. I learnt what 
what he needed from an audience or what he needed from people in the audience, how he managed to get that every time. Um, I, I learnt that Dame Edna is is she basically tells everybody at the beginning, you know, without saying it, but we're going to have a good time right. here. Yeah. Um, and then it, it also just forced me to read all of Barry Humphrey's books and learn about other things that have happened to him on stage and in his career and why, as a person, he wanted to do what he did. Um. You know, I think he 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 likes to shake things up, and but he's too much of a gentleman to do that as himself. So right. through his characters, he's able to call people out. And did you do this observation, bearing in mind that you were thinking about writing a show then to showcase Rosa? Yes. So I did a short. I did a show in New York when I was there at Don't Tell Mama. Yes. It was just all organised at the last minute. I sort of just threw it together. I. I kind of just sang some of my favourite songs and then I did like 15 minutes of Rosa and anyway, Barry came and that was, it was, it was when I did my kind of, uh, Rosa would do a short monologue and then sing maybe this time. Right, That's all that I had for her. Right. (laughs) And anyway, he he wrote me a note afterwards and he said, um, dear Marnie, I, I love Rosa and I adore you and I thought, well, that's enough of an endorsement that I need to wow. keep going with Rosa. So, um, yeah, when I came back, well, then I got cast in a few shows. I was in The Give and Take with Gary McDonald at yes. the Opera House. Then I was in a show with Caroline O'Connor mm. uh, in at the Melbourne Theatre Company. And then I got cast in Priscilla. I was in Priscilla for almost two years. Yeah, 600, over 600 performances. Yeah, how do you get your head around that, by the way? Oh, yeah, that's pretty full on. You're doing eight shows a week and it's relentless. Mm. It's the same thing night after night, but then it's different every night because you have to make it fresh for everyone. How do you make it fresh for everyone every night? Oh, that's a really good question. It's Thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you make it fresh every night? You've got to just convince yourself that, it's ex- new and exciting for you every night. You've got to be inspired by it every night. You've got to find something new to play in the scene or you talk with your co-stars about how to, what we're going to try to achieve tonight. Mm. That was one thing Gary McDonald was amazing at. So we only did a short short run of the show. but You did every Sydney and Melbourne night, as well. We did, yes. yes. Every night before the show we would get together and we'd inevitably talk about moments in the show that we could make better or how could we get a laugh off that or what is... It was a new Australian work by mm. Tony McNamara. So yes. it was... We were still workshopping it. How could we... How can we make this moment fly? What's supposed to be happening in this moment? Is this supposed to be funny or is this... What is the audience supposed to be thinking at this moment? That kind of just minute critiquing of the work and constantly just kneading it and kneading it through like dough and and working on it was just so exciting. It made it so exciting. No, none of us just turned up and did the show. We were all accountable. Fantastic. Yeah, that came from him being at the helm. 
But with Priscilla, you're in a, you know, everybody's in it together. So you really rely on everybody else to keep it fresh. Yes. Everybody's got to work together. And I think also we were very lucky that it was such an uplifting, fun, happy show. Mm, it wasn't Man of La Mancha, let's it wasn't. put it that way. No, yes. it wasn't Les Mis. No. <laughs> so also, but having said that, you know, there were moments where you'd get the giggles or, you know, like, and then suddenly I remember one night we were doing a number and we were all dressed as paintbrushes and one of the paintbrushes' shoes came off and there was a bit where we all have to sort of do this dance move where we're bowing down in a circle Mm. and the shoe happened to be in the middle of the circle. (laughs) And this is like show number 567 and we're all going, whose shoe is that? Why is there a shoe in the middle of the circle? You know, all singing with big smiles on our faces and then we've realised whose it was and he's absolutely bent over laughing, still trying to do the choreography. And then, you know, from that point we're all in these huge costumes and we're all kind of hunched over and shaking because of the laughter, but you've got to keep singing. And <laughs> once you see your other cast members go down, you know, with laughter, it's just contagious. Totally. It's so hard to keep it together. But, yeah, we weren't having to do one day more or... You know. No, no, that's exactly right. <laughs> and, and it is ultimately uplifting. And I've been to shows where it's been going for a while and occasionally you just go, that's a bit tired that they haven't kept it fresh. And yeah. obviously that's something that a resident director would, would be a big part of yes. to, to keep it fresh and know that it hasn't faded over the course of six months, 12 months, two years, seven years. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so talking about then, Priscilla, that was your longest run musical. Beyond that, what other musicals have you been involved with? Hairspray. I did that for a year, just mm. over a year. I played Velma Von Tussle, the evil racist TV producer. Yes. Fantastic role. Uh, well, you, you really sunk your teeth into that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> and then I seem to just get cast as evil women a lot. Moonshadow, you were evil as well. Yeah, yes, I was. Yes, I played this horrible, nasty queen of not really even sure what it was because nobody really knew what that show was about, uh, not even us. Um, but it was a great role. I got to sing some beautiful songs, mm. which I was able to workshop with Yusuf Islam. Yes, Kate wow, because he was out here for it, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Mm, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And then beyond that, we've uh, you've got other musicals that you've been involved with as well, Dream Lover. Now, tell me about that. Well, that was that was just like it was that musical it was like a heaven? dream. Yeah, it was. Yeah, okay. So. David Campbell played mm. Bobby Darren. He was phenomenal. And just he's phenomenal. doing the Channel 9 um, morning show at the same time that he's doing this somehow. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, not when we were in Melbourne. Right. Oh, sorry. He was doing two two mornings a week. Yes. In in Sydney. Yeah. Of that show. And then eight shows a week in Melbourne. Mm. Like, he was just, just phenomenal. He was also doing his radio show on Smooth FM. Plus, he had... You know, when we were in in Sydney, he had one year old twins. When we we're in Melbourne, he had two year old twins, uh, plus another child. And I, he, I, I honestly just was in awe of him. And also because he was at the helm of the show, he just kept everyone's spirits up. Like everyone was thinking, well. David sings like 30 songs in this show. He's mm. never off stage. Plus he's doing all this stuff outside yes. of the show. He has not complained once. Right. So none of us can complain about anything. Okay, okay. And it's interesting that you use the word the helm because Gary McDonald, you said he was at the helm of the show. Uh. He's not a producer as such, but he's the one, I guess he's the uh, the marquee name, but he's also in a way holding the show together. Oh, the, yeah. the unofficial glue. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, they really, yeah. Like if you've got a great leader in a mm. cast, then th- that's that's the benchmark for everybody else. Mm. Now they're we, steering the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Now, how how do you? I, I know it's trying to um, pick your favourite child, but how do you look at your career and just go? I love musicals, I love straight plays, I love comedy, I love writing, I love producing. Is there a favourite thing that you do? Yeah. The Rosa stuff, the com- the, ca- the stand-up cabaret, stand-up comedy, but, I mean, I sing as well in my shows, so mm. whatever you want to call it, I, I'm not really sure what the genre is. It's it's cabaret, I suppose, but yes. I play a character as well. So Would that be cabaret stand-up? Because you mentioned stand-up because really you're um, trying to uh, react to their reactions and it's back and forth the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and I noticed on your website you, you'd say when you do a corporate act that you are researching everyone to know what the people are in the room, to know, to play the strengths to certain people, etc. That's a big job unto itself, isn't it? Well, it is, yes. Yeah. So, but that's the thing. So you've got to you've got to make your show about the people in the room, which is why I have so much audience interaction in my shows. So when I'm, you know, when I do my shows as Rosa, the Russian bikini waxer, the woman who yes. has <laughs> taken over my life. Um, <laughs> She, you know, she is, yes, she is very much in and amongst the audience and you, you can also tell, and this is one thing that I observed Barry doing, you can just tell who's interested or who's into it mm. and who doesn't want to get up on stage or right. who, who just, who would it be their absolute nightmare to, to get picked on, you know. Yeah. So the you, audience you actually just leave those people alone. Okay, you do. Yeah, because they're going to give you nothing mm. or they're going to they're gonna hate it. There are people who... They're, they're hating it, but they're also secretly loving it. Right, okay. The arms folded. No, the arms folded, they're out. Yeah. They're out. <laughs> yeah, you just Completely. leave them. Mm. You just go, doesn't matter. Like, Whatever I, don't know what I do. I don't know what you're doing here, but yeah, I hope you're having a good time, but I'm not going to make this night any worse for you. Mm, so you, okay. you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> but there are people who, there are just nice, normal people. People, the pe- the people who want to get picked on as well, you don't pick on them either. They're too yeah, eager. Right? Okay. Yeah. As in putting their hands up. Yeah, almost. Like, pick yeah, me. Yeah. Pick me. Yeah. Have you ever had a real job? Um, I did quite a bit of babysitting when I finished. That is that a real? Is that a real job though? Because <laughs> no. well, I mean, babysitting. You're, you're sitting in front of the TV, aren't well, you? Well, guess I've got one now. I've got <laughs> yeah. on a pub. Well, there's that which we can talk about now. How did that happen? <laughs> how how does you're in Melbourne mm. and you just go? What we want to do a sea change? <laughs> we um, want to do a pub change. How do you come to the realization you want a pub? Well, that was definitely my husband's doing. So yes, along the way, I acquired a husband and two children. And Frank, he's worked in the alcohol industry for twenty five years. Yeah, he's. He started off at Swan Brewery in Perth. He's from Fremantle. Right. Then he went to Tui's in New South Wales. And then after he'd been there for 25 years, he thought, well, they're probably going to get rid of me soon. So I guess I should start thinking about how to, you know, make my own destiny. And mm. he he's, he had been in charge of a lot of big pub accounts in both in Perth and in Sydney and I guess he got a lot of 
like really amazing insights into how pubs work. I mean, his job was to help pubs, help publicans yes. sell more beer, but mm. also to get to know, he really got to know a lot of publicans and their families and also took them away on these unbelievable trips to the bloody Super Bowl and World wow. Cup and all of that stuff. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so he he thought, you know, I reckon I could have a crack at this pub thing and I said, yeah, all right, that sounds great. Let's see where that takes us. It was as easy as that. It really was. Oh, I'm I'm just I guess life as an actress certainly for me the doors are always open. The doors of opportunity are just always open. And you've I have always got about 10 different contingency plans happening at the same time. This could happen or this could happen. I don't even tell Frank about auditions that I'm going for or things that are coming up because the chances are they're probably not going to happen. Right. If I tell him about them, he'll go into a panic about, but, but what would we do about this? What would we do about this? You know, where, yes. how, how are you going to manage that? I just say, listen, do you know how many steps there are between mm. me auditioning for this and me actually signing the contract and turning up for yes. the first day of work on this job? So just hold your horses about that. No need to panic. So... So anyway, I, I enjoy the endless possibility and the unknown and I think, you know, that might be something that makes me well suited to to stand-up work because it's just completely unscripted and unplanned and right. you just roll with whatever happens. So have you always been a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of person, except for the commerce degree, let, let's say, that was kind of a planned thing, but neither, obviously, you're training to be an actor, but then have you just kind of just gone with the flow and, and not stressed out about it? Um, yes, I... Um, I definitely go with the flow, but I also make a lot of things happen. Mm, okay. Yeah. You're an innovator. Yeah. I, I'm creator. a do-it-now person. Right. Do-it-now. Yeah. Get it done. The minute I get a parking fine, I pay it. Okay. Yeah. You're one of those people? Yeah. Wow. I didn't think those people existed. Oh, I just get it done. It's done. Okay. It's another thing ticked off your to-do list. Yeah, yeah. Well, why wouldn't you just do it now? Yeah, oh, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so the pub, it, do you start? Is there like a, a realestate.com.au for pubs? Um, are you looking at anywhere in <laughs> yeah, Australia? Yeah, we, we're anywhere in New South Wales. Just okay. really, we lo- started looking in Sydney and then realised that was a pipe dream. And then we looked outside of Sydney and we looked at this great pub came up in the Southern Highlands in Barrel. Wow. And we put in an offer on that, but we missed out on that to, well, some guy who'd uh, just had a big fallout with his family and been um, issued with a cheque for about $100 million to go and buy some new pubs (laughs) of his own. (laughs) So we missed out on that one. Oh, no. Um, And then a pub came up in Wyong. Yes. Never heard of it. Yep. The New South Wales Central Coast. All right, let's go up and have a look. So we had a look and there's a nice river going through the town. It's beautiful. not far from the entrance, which is a just beautiful Stunning. beach, beautiful, you know, holiday town. Yep. And the, yeah, the town of Wyong seemed nice enough. It, it was only 10 minutes from Westfield at Tuggera. So, you know, <laughs> not too That's far important. out of civilization. Yeah, yeah. Only an hour and 20 minutes from Sydney. Mm, very close. Yeah, really not, not a big deal. And then so you put in an offer and, and it's accepted and yeah. you go, we're moving up there. Yeah. It was it was that easy? We didn't even see what was upstairs. Turns out there are 
14 rooms upstairs, but we we <laughs> we you have we had to act fast. The market was so hot, we had to just go. But it's turned out to be just brilliant. I love the community there. You know, we're raising our two boys there who are only two and four. Uh, people come and knock on our door. Oh, g'day, Marnie. I was just um, catching some prawns down in the lake this morning and I got a few extra kilos. So just wondering if you and the kids might be interested in, you know, having a couple of kilos. Oh, oh g'day, Marnie. These are just some mandarins we picked off our tree. And I think that's actually just generally country life. Yeah, but right. I just, I, I am just loving that. And the pub, well, what better way than to meet everybody in a new town where you know nobody than Mm. buying the pub because... (laughs) (laughs) Everyone comes to you. Yeah. And, of course, Frank said to me, well, what's your contribution going to be at the pub? I said, well, I guess we could put on some shows. So now we have a monthly cabaret night. They always sell out. We have about 95 people in the back bar. We just put black tablecloths down and some tea light candles and... Away we go and we've had these phenomenal nights. We've had Bob down there twice who's just absolutely blown the the roof off the joint. Yeah. 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 And it's been great for me as well to see all these amazing artists work the room. Mm. We had Queenie van der Zandt. She was unbelievable. Catherine Alcorn, who's a Sydney performer who does this amazing Bette Midler show. She is so good with an audience. Trevor Ashley's come up and done his I'm Every Woman show where he plays all of his big drag divas. Brilliant. He he was absolutely brilliant, got a standing ovation. I was sort of a bit unsure about how Wyong was going to... Embrace that. Embrace it, mm. but, yeah, they loved him. Um, you know, we, it's just it's just been brhilliant and we've got some terrific performers. Oh, Rhonda Birch... Oh, I don't mean old, I mean old mate. Rhonda <laughs> Birchmore's coming up this year, so, you know, we've got plenty of... Good times ahead. And so beyond what you do as part of your Roses show where you're uh, creating, you're writing, you're producing it, you're producing shows that come to your pub, which is just another real big hat to add to your collection. You know, that bit's really fun. You know, that I can't believe that I get to have these brilliant performers and get to spend time with such amazing people at our own place. Like that's mm. just, that's an absolute, that's just, yeah, one of the greatest things that could ever happen. Now, with your shows, how far afield have you toured throughout Australia, New Zealand, the world? Well, so I took Rosa to the Edinburgh Festival Mm. in 2009 and that was a terrific experience, although it is ball-breaking, the Edinburgh Festival. Have you done it? I've been there. I was there for about 10 days of it and, look, I immersed myself in it and as a... um, as an audience member, it's fantastic because you're just sport for choice. But mm. as a performer, it would just be really, really relentless. Oh, and it it'd is. drag you down because you just get lost in the system. Well, it's so weird. Like some nights I'd have 100 people in the audience and some nights I'd have 12. Mm. And I, I did a, you know, there was a segment in the show where I get two guys up on the stage and I'd be peering through the curtain before I went <laughs> out going, please just let there be two guys in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> or and else the show's miss- going to go for half the time. Did you get that every night? Yeah. Two guys, wow. Yeah, we did. But, yeah, it was close. Oh, but it is ball-breaking. And I was out there in my one-piece Lycra leopard print jumpsuit with the wig and my high heels on those cobblestones in Edinburgh doing, you know, like the best kind of five minutes of my show for passers-by and then people would 
so often say, oh, that sounds really funny. We're actually not going to be here tonight, but thanks, you know, all the best. <laughs> and through gritted teeth you go, yeah. right, enjoy your time here. Yeah. And do you do you go there to make money? Do you go there to have an experience? Do you go there to be discovered or hopefully a combination of all three? Why did you go there? I went because it seemed like the next the natural next step and certainly not to make money. I did a couple of fun like basically my whole Melbourne Comedy Festival show was a fundraiser for Edinburgh and then some people who were in my audience I would I'd tell everybody at the end of the show I'm going to Edinburgh. You know, so thanks for thanks for coming. Um, and I've got some stub Rosa, the Russian beautician, stubby holders for sale. If you you know want to buy some of them, then that's money that goes towards right. me getting to Edinburgh. And of course, I took my Rosa's pianist with her Boris Longshlongadonsky, yes, the Russian master of the <laughs> organ. <laughs> Mark Jones, he he looks a lot like the pianist, Mark Jones. Fantastic. Um, and, yeah, people were amazing. Like some people said, oh, look, there was one lady who said, um, we live in Warrandyte and we've got a really active arts community. Why don't we throw a big fundraising night for you at the Warrandyte Hall and, you know, you can just have all the proceeds. Great. And we got like three grand from that night. Yeah. Wow. It was absolutely brilliant. What a woman, you know, she just... I loved that. And there were lots of other people that did wonderful, generous things like that too. Mm. So we went to Edinburgh. The best thing that came out of Edinburgh for me was really good reviews. Right. That I'm still using, you know. Okay. Yeah. Which you can use (laughs) forever. I haven't been to Edinburgh since. but Yeah. Uh, But I would really like to go back to New York and take Rosa to New York. I think that seems like a good – or Vegas and Vegas, but New York and Vegas, yeah. Where would you want to play in New York? Uh, I don't really know. One of the Schubert theatres? Of course. A 2000 seater? Yeah, the Rockefeller Centre. <laughs> Why <Yeah>. not? <laughs> Is there a cabaret room that you really love there that you'd want to take it to? I haven't been to enough, so I don't know. I know Joe's, I see lots of stuff, you know, on online about Joe's pub. That seems like it would probably be a good venue, but I'm mm. not really sure. So if anybody's listening, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> and so then throughout Australia, you you travel a fair bit with, with your different uh, events. Um, we'll talk about your marriage celebrancy um, business. How did that come about? I don't really know. My sister wanted me to marry her. I actually thought, wouldn't it be funny if I could marry people as Rosa? Right. Or my other... Or one of my other characters, mm. my border security yes. officer, Karen Barnes, <laughs> the racist lesbian border security officer. So I thought that would be hilarious. Anyway, so that was really why I did it. And then I married my sister, uh, well, to her husband. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for making that clear. <laughs> so, and I have done about five weddings as Rosa. Usually people getting married for the second time. They just want to okay. just... they want to laugh. Yeah. Mm. They don't want to drag their friends through a boring ceremony, but ceremonies aren't really boring anymore anyway. Ceremonies well, are a lot be. different now. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Funerals are different too. Well, talking about that, you're looking to, I guess, broaden your horizons, um, approach to... Um, celebrations because uh, funerals don't have to be necessarily sad. No. So you're looking to go down that track too. Well, they they, will, they are sad, but they don't have to be somber, solemn, mm, you know. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, so I've done two funerals. I After I did those two funerals, I thought, oh, this is great, I'm going to do funerals now. And I started to make all these 
noises about, you know, starting, you know, expanding a, a business into doing funerals. And then I thought, oh, hang on. I think I've got enough going on, actually. <laughs> But see, I would have thought you had enough going on before you became a marriage <laughs> celebrant. But um, okay, so you, you're a little bit full at the moment. And- I'm a bit full, yeah, mentally. And my husband said, "Listen, what what would it matter if you if you took up being a funeral celebrant in say two years' time?" I thought, "Yeah, okay, okay." And it's one of the first times in my life where I've you know rationally thought through about allowing something a bit of time and space before it before it happens. Otherwise, I've, I'm just trying to make stuff happen tomorrow. Tell me about the times that you've toured in Tasmania. Oh, Tassie? Mm. Why are you asking me that question? Oh, well, we'll get to that. Yeah, tell me about the times oh. you've uh, toured in Tasmania. <laughs> oh, well, it's just been joyful. So I've only done tours in Tasmania. You know that guy who came to the cricket ground going way back, who said to my dad, have you gotten any poems to do? Yes. So he has organised quite a few tours for me. So he went down to Tassie and he just got, he's just an amazing guy, got talking to different clubs and groups and theatres and said, I'm going to bring this girl down to Tassie, we're going to do a tour. Um, You know, it's 25 bucks a head or something like that for for your ticket. So you had a promoter? Yeah, I had a promoter. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I used to call him the Harry and Miller of rural, (laughs) regional Victoria, and then we did Tassie as well. So how far afield did you travel then when he'd organised this? We did all over Victoria, Mm. um, mostly down around Warrnambool, Portland, Mortlake, around that way. But, yeah, we did did a couple of Tassie tours. Mm. The most memorable was Bruny Island. We did a town called Queenstown, which was everyone was so depressed in Queenstown because the logging had been Mm. shut down and everyone's everyone's houses had for sale signs. Only about 20 people turned up to this show, but I felt like I I felt so satisfied doing that show. I felt like I had given all these people who were really down a really good night. Mm, great. They all bought copies of my DVD afterwards. You know, they didn't want it to end. Really? They, yeah. But that must be a small part of what you why you enjoy doing what you do is to bring life and joy into people's lives. Oh, that's the whole point. No, there's two points to, well, as Barry Humphreys would call it, to cheer people up. He says he's not in the entertainment industry, he's in the business of cheering people up. I love right. that. That's really good. So that, that I mean, you know, when you think ethically about how do you earn your money, mm. I'm really happy and comfortable with I earn money from cheering people up or yeah, making right. them happy or making them laugh or, you know, giving them a, giving them a good time. Mm. That feels good. That sits very well. And the other thing is I've, I have, I just have this sort of burning... Inc- desire to call out bullshit. So that's why I created this character, Annabelle Sarah Victoria Winters Smythe, the carbon <laughs> neutral bride from Armadale. <laughs> you know, the I, title says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> I just found, oh, like I had this boyfriend once who, oh no, now I'm going to, I hope he never hears this. I knew somebody once, mm. I knew somebody who um, who worked for a big mining company, right, but 
used to get annoyed at me or, or call me out if I didn't put the recycling things in the right box. <laughs> Do you have any idea? Do you have any idea what you are contributing to every day and yet this little tiny bit of plastic is an issue for you? Like, can you just take a good heart, buddy, look at yourself? That made me so fired up. So, um, so you know, that was one reason why I just wanted to create this character and she resonated really well with people. Because everyone knows an Annabelle. Well, everyone kind of is an Annabelle. I mean, people have got some, you know, got money invested in shares. Do you know what that's doing? Do you actually know what companies you're invested in? Mm. Do you know what's, what those companies might be doing to the environment? You know, the places that you go for holidays with the money that you've earned for your share, from your shares where you go and they're untouched or unspoiled... The company that you've invested your money in might be about to try to just decimate that Mm. entire area, that whole village or the lifestyle of those people. Like, Mm. it's just, it's madness. And so Annabelle was a response in a way to that. Yeah. Well, Karen was a response. My racist lesbian border security officer, (laughs) she was a response. I came through customs one day and I heard a customs officer, I mean, coming through Australian customs is always a shock. When yes. you've been overseas, yes. it's always a shock. The accents, just you're like, oh, this Grating. is us. Yeah, this is us, <laughs> isn't it? And this is what everyone hears when they first get here. I heard this woman, take. she had taken an Indian family aside and I heard her say, what you consider food in your country may not be considered food in this country. <laughs> yeah, and then I just thought, right, here we go. Here's a new character. <laughs> just made me mad. Yeah. So, you know, things that I can't. Express myself, you can easily express through the use of a character. Mm. And that's funny. Mm. Absolutely. You can get away with it. Yeah. And, you know, it's easier than giving people a lecture. And tell me about Damo, one of your other creations. Oh, Damo's the same thing. But (laughs) Frank said to me, babe, listen, I prefer it if you actually never perform Damo ever again. (laughs) Really? For (laughs) what reason? Because I'm being a man. Yeah, okay. Yeah, scratch my balls. Yeah, right. Um... Oh, Damo was just, um, you know, he was in Gallipoli to pay his respects to the Anzacs and going on a Kentucky tour through Europe. It, it, I guess it was a little bit kind of predictable, the character, but yeah. still there were, there's a lot of, um, I think Damo actually, I can evolve the character of Damo. Damo can just be like a protein infused gym junkie kind of a guy, <laughs> you know, that we all know, like there's a lot of demos around. And as with all people, your characters evolve they do. as well. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Raylene. Tell me about Raylene. Yeah, so Raylene has had quite a few like um, ebbs and flows really because Raylene's daughter, Shana, is um, incarcerated in Denpasar. Right. Now, this was a, char- a character that was actually the brainchild of Barry Humphreys. He suggested it. Why really? don't you do a character? Why don't you do a character who's who is incarcerated in Bali, whose family are upset that they're not getting enough publicity. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. And you went, great, I'm going to do that. And as a suggestion from Barry Humphreys, you've got to kind of do that. Sort of had to follow through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, he's always also, he, I've noticed that he's always wanted to have a character or he may have done it on a few very early um, outings, 
early shows, he's wanted to have like an Indigenous art dealer character. Right. So Annabelle is also an Indigenous art dealer. Of course she is. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, Raylene, yes, yeah, so she she sings a song. She's just released a single about the plight of her daughter. <laughs> Give it up for my daughter, Shana, locked away in Denpasar. <laughs> Shana, she's not going to live much longer. She's not going to eat yum chow. Shana. <laughs> oh, it's gold. Oh, and how often are you performing this particular character? Well, not that often. Raylene doesn't. Well, I do. I do all of the characters when I perform at a big corporate event or a big fundraising event, like a big lunch or something. So, so it depends on the size yeah, of the event. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, you know, the Karen Barnes welcomes everybody at the beginning and takes them through like a health and safety demonstration. Do, do people get frisked? Yeah, there's a little bit of frisking. Good. Usually, like the most gorgeous woman in the room. Right. <clears throat> um, who she keeps going back to, <laughs> uh, and then, and then so you know they'll have their entree or whatever, and then Raylene will come out, and whoever's the MC will let everybody know about, you know, um, we've got somebody here now who's going through a pretty difficult time, uh, and then after Raylene, there'll be main course, and then Rosa comes out. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so she's the main act. She's the main act. Yeah, and yeah. she's the one who I can then, you know, I could do 20 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour. It's, you know, it just depends on depends on what's required. But mm. she's also the most kind of um, tangible. She's right, the, okay. Well, she's the, the, the most malleable, the, the mm. one that, the most adaptable is the word I'm looking for. Now, I've got to talk to you about Bruni Island. When yeah. you went to Bruni Island, that would have been in the summer of 2013-14? Was it? Does that sound right? There was one... Yes. Uh, yes, that's right. So I've got a confession to make to what? you. You came to my show. What are you talking about? <sighs> no, okay. So you know that I went to a black place. You know, I had the marriage breakup and everything. We had some chats about that, you know, yeah. six months afterwards. And then I went to Tasmania in yeah. the summer of 2013 and 14. You did a big, a big hike. Yep, that's right. Yeah. And it was all about finding myself and, you know, releasing myself from the demons and all that kind of thing. And I... Went to Bruny Island a couple of times and I was... Saw posters. Well, Mm. I I was there and I saw a poster and it was about four days in the future. And I went, I'm planning to get off the island in a couple of days. And I went, I should stay and surprise her and, and go to your show. And But, you know, I actually, because I hadn't fixed myself or I was in such a, a deep, dark funk still, I thought I don't want to be a depressing figure in her show. You know, I don't want to go there um, with the weight of my, uh, the world on my shoulders. So I didn't turn up and I, I really, I thought about that over the, the last few years and, and went, why didn't I just go? I would have had a great time. I would have cheered myself up a bit. And so I just got to tell you that, I'm sorry. Like I, sh- <laughs> I should have just turned up. I'll I should never have just- forgive you. Yeah, I know, I know. We are no longer friends. But that that just kind of leads me to, you know, I spent about you know, almost half a decade in this kind of despair and, you know, woe is me, and it took a while to get out of that. Have you been to a, a difficult or dark place in your life and, and how how did you get out of that? 
I have. Um, I think. I think I'm. <clears throat> I have, but not for long, not for extended periods of time. I. Um, I think that I'm very lucky to have a really strong family, and you know, I told you about going to Scotland, and feeling like I was a part of that. My mum, her family, they're all farmers in. 2J in WA, just outside of Perth. Every five years we have a family reunion and there are 700 people at this reunion. No way. Yeah, I'm serious. We all camp on the banks of the Avon River. We have running races. We have... It's the Ferguson family, so we have the Ferguson Mile, which is hotly contested and, you know, (laughs) I'd never enter it because they're... I mean, there's some seriously fast... Country family members who and just very been racing no their whole doubt. lives. Yeah, mm. there are some of our cousins from down the south of WA who were still winning the running races when they were like eight months pregnant. Great. Anyway, what an event! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Mm. So it was started by my grandpa and his some of his cousins. So it's been going since 1966. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. And do you know? In times when I feel low, um, I I always think about this family and the the and all the people in the family. I think I belong to something. I belong to that. It, it, how can I articulate this? It makes me. It just makes me feel strong. It makes me feel loved and a part of something. And I I'm able to pull my socks up. It's what helps me pull my socks up. So it almost drags you out of despair because you know that you've got that family almost embracing you. Yeah. I know that if I saw all, if I went to that reunion tomorrow, I would, it would, it, it, it would, it would just lift my spirits. It would make me feel just that sense of belonging and, and you know, uh, meaningfulness, being needed, mm. being a part of something, being... <laughs> So in a lot of ways, you, even though you don't go into despair or darkness that often, when you do feel those times, you know your way out. Yeah, I think I'm quite good at finding my way out. Mm. I think I'm quite good at keeping out of it as well. Right, yes. Yes, managing it. Tell me, how does one become the voice of ABC2? (laughs) How did that happen? Oh, that was just amazing. Yeah, I did that job for about four years. Um. So I, you know, I did Thursday night, the story of a man who always knew he was a lesbian, <laughs> Thursday 8.30 on ABC2. You know, I did all those. <laughs> that was that was a great job. Also, this one, the following program contains adult references, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, lo- <laughs> I loved being that person. And then I also got to do, if, if the ABC kids person was away or they're, you know, they needed something that day. Mm. If there'd been a change in the program, Peppa Pig weekdays at five on ABC Kids. <laughs> that was my favourite. <laughs> oh, fantastic! So, how often would they get you in? Is it once? Uh... It was once a week. It was a regular gig. Okay, once a week, every Tuesday morning. And then one day they just dropped me. They just said, "No, we need a new, a fresh voice, something different." Um. And, and someone else was in, which was exactly how I got the job in the first place. One right. day they just said, nope, you're gone and let's get a new voice. Mm. And I got the job and I was lucky that I had it for four years and then one day just, oh, they won't be needing you at the ABC tomorrow. 
Why? Um, I think that they might have chosen someone else. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it was just like that. It was kind of good timing. It was mm. actually okay because it was right about the time when, oh, well, we left Sydney and we went on a bit of a road trip for about six months. Mm. Before we bought the pub, we were a bit, Frank was a bit lost and we didn't know where we were going to be moving to and so we said let's just go and spend some time with our families in Melbourne and Perth, mm. put all our stuff in storage. Great. So the timing was actually good but, mm. but yeah, that was a bit of a bummer because it was a great gig. Mm. It, w- it would be prime, mm. a, a prime gig for a voiceover artist. Mm. Now you voiced uh, an animated mm. feature recently. Tell mm. me about that. Once again as the evil empress, <laughs> <laughs> it was Maya the B2. Okay. And I played the evil Duchess. I was Justine Clark's evil sister. Right. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Great experience. I loved watching it at the cinema. The the whole movie it was a terrific movie. How long was that process? Was it over two days? How how long did they get you in for uh, to do that? About four or five sessions over probably the course of. 18 months, from the first reading through to the final maybe two years. And was yeah. it interesting watching that process for an animated feature? Is that a mm. world that you knew about? No, if- yeah, that was the first animated film that I'd ever done. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, hopefully the, well, the first of many. Yes, hope so, yeah. So what's on the cards for you in 2019? I'm going to make a new show. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm going to update the characters and have some new characters. I'm wondering if I can do any stand-up as myself. I feel very comfortable doing that now after hosting all these shows once a month up at our pub. Mm. I feel just, I feel really, like, powerful in front of an audience. I don't... As yourself yeah, and not a character. Yeah. Great. I think, you know, I've turned 40 now. I just feel, I just feel strong. Mm. So I'm, yeah, I might... I might just be me, which is quite rare, you know, a novel thing yeah. for me. But I might not. I'm not sure. I haven't written the show yet. Um, so that's my challenge for the first half of the year is to write a new show. And then, yeah, the second half of the year I want to just get it out there. Yeah, great. And mm. do you know, are we talking touring regionally? What's what's the thinking? How far afield will you go? I think I'll probably do... Melbourne Comedy Festival. Well, I'll probably do some. Maybe I might do um, midsummer at the start of next year. Yeah. Um, I'll probably give it its first airing in Wyong. Although yes. I dare say there'll be a lot of Wyong centric <laughs> content, which I'm not sure if Wyong's going to love. No, I think Wyong Wyong may become the new off Broadway. <laughs> yeah, what do you think? We're well on the way. Well, we've got an amazing theatre there. Have it's, you? Yeah, it's new. It's only been there for two years. The Art House, it's just brilliant. So we've got some terrific shows that come to town. How many does that seat? About uh, 500. Yeah, great. Which is not bad for Central Coast. I mean, there'd be a bigger one in Gosford, I I assume. There is, but it's a bit old and creaky. Right, okay. This one was built because that one sort of wasn't, um, didn't have the capacity that, that this one's got. but. Yeah, it's got all the bells and whistles. Mm. It was a, you know, I don't know, $15, $20 million project. Wow. Mm. Eddie Perfect's kicking some really big goals. Sure is. In in America yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Um, two shows on Broadway. Yeah. That, that's incredible. Do you see yourself writing a full two-act musical theatre show possibly down the track? Yeah, I do. I know that sounds a bit crazy with all the other stuff I've got going on. I do. 
And is there a story that you know of yet or is it just a broad kind of thing you'd like to write a musical? So when I was single, before I was single for about two years before I started going out with Frank and I had so many, I had like an on-again, off-again ex that I'd been on-again, off-again with for seven years and I had so many ridiculous story or things happened to me with guys that I was seeing or dating or things that people said to me during that time. You know, I was like early 30s. It was a really weird time for me, having always felt really confident with guys mm. and always, pretty much always having a boyfriend from like age 19. That was a weird time. And then... Confusing? Oh, so confusing. I mean, there was one time when I stooped to go out with a guy that I that wasn't even good enough for me and then he dumped me. Oh, wow. <laughs> How did that feel? <laughs> I know that's that's that was the worst. Mm. Like I would never have ordinarily gone out with this guy. He just was a bit of a weirdo, but I thought, "Oh, well, I've got to go out with somebody. Maybe this is what I'm where I'm at now." So I went out with this guy and you know, he had a lot of issues and problems and and I thought, okay, I'll just, I can, I can deal with all, I can get through this, you know, we can work together as a team. And then he dumped me and it was just, it was like a new rock bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So that forms the basis of your musical, does it? Yeah, all those stories. Right, okay, okay. Now, is it weird talking about yourself in this kind of format? Yes and no. <laughs> um, yeah, because I don't feel like we're really having a conversation. I'm doing a lot of talking. Oh, that's and then, okay. Yeah. That's okay. But is it, is it, do you find it interesting to, to reflect on where you've come from um, to where you are now? Yeah, that's, it's good. That's good. You know, it's like an hour of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it's an hour pep talk or something. Now, what would you tell a 20-year-old Marnie McQueen about the life ahead? Uh, I would say um, stick to your guns more. I feel as though I've taken a lot of other people's advice, which has been against my own instinct over the years, and I wish I had have just... Pursued my own gut feeling more often. Do you think you're going to reprise your role um, as the uh, was it counterwoman um, from the Fernwood uh, Fitness commercial? Because <laughs> that was when we first met. That's right. Um, and then I remember that day at the end of the day, I had to take you from set uh, into the city for a performance of the Give and Take. Um, ah, right. At, at MTC oh. when I was a runner back in TV <laughs> yeah. commercial days. Do, do you think they'll get you back for, a, for you know, another oh, rendition oh, of that role? negotiations, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that a speaking <laughs> role? Sperm of Fitness still exists. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I, I remember just seeing that photo of you and just going, ah, yes, the Fernwood Fitness commercial <laughs> where it all started. And that was a good 12 years ago. Oh, yeah. Longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was a good gig. Now, um, that's all we've got time for, 
But um, I really appreciate you coming. And this is a new thing, the podcast thing. I listened to my first podcast about four months ago. And now I've got my own like podcast series. Like, it's crazy. It's brilliant. And this I love offers, podcasts. Oh, who doesn't? When you discover them and mm. what's out there, it's, it's just fantastic. Mm. And it's interesting. Someone said to me, um, it's about being, um, if someone's particularly passionate about a subject, they're prepared to listen to them, you know, whatever that subject is. And it's just interesting talking to, you know, all my guests on this, knowing how passionate they are about their craft. Mm. So Marty McQueen, thank you very much for joining me today on another episode of The Artiste. Thank oh, you. Thank you, Luke. So good to see you again. It's been a while. The Artiste is an original podcast series devised and hosted by me, Luke Gibson. It's produced by myself and Matt Gerber-Korn and is recorded, edited and mixed at Sonic Playground in South Melbourne by Ben Churchill and Matt. Music score by Robert Upwood. Find him at robertupwood.com.au. Cover art by Romy Sachs. Keep up to date with The Artiste by following us on Instagram and Facebook, The Artiste Podcast. The Artiste is a co-production between Peppermint Media and Sonic Playground.